Welcome to Stacy on the Right, the podcast where we have all of the best discussions with all of the very best leaders in our community, in our in our space, our policy space, all of the different areas where um, we have interest. And today is no different. I'm so excited to welcome to the podcast Larry Barons. He is the communications director of Power the Future. The website is powerthefuture.com, powerthefuture.com. You can get into some of that over at the show notes, which uh, we always have all the links there. So right now, I want to welcome Larry. Thank you for coming on the show and uh, sharing with us today. Stacey, it's so great to meet you and to to speak with you today. I'm grateful you've had me on the show. Yeah, so I'm excited because your site, PowerTheFuture.com, it says you're a 501c4 with the mission of offering truth, facts, and research that will enrich the national conversation on energy. And one of my favorite things to do is to talk about, I have a little infographic, and it's all about everything around you that's made of oil. And we learned this, my family and I, we were on a vacation to Galveston, Texas, of all places, not exactly everyone's number one vacation spot, but they actually have this really super cute town. But the best thing they have there is the Oceana. It's an oil rig that has been brought to shore, moored in their bay, and it is a now a museum. And when you go inside, they have rooms that you walk through and you press the button and you can hear the person talking about what the item is and how it's made of oil. And they even have a huge, um, it's like a, what is it, like a diorama. It's a huge diorama of the oil rig Oceana and when it was moored to the ocean floor how the pipes went down and how the pipes went up. And inside, there are cross-sections of the pipe cuttings that show the cables, all the different cables, technological cables that go in and and up and down from the Oceana to the floor of the ocean. And then all of the different like sites where they were pulling oil. And so you get to go in and you get to see where they slept, what they're, what, where they ate, where the captain lived. Um, but the most important part is where they show you how everything, like I'm looking at three monitors right now, all of the casings on these monitors are oil-based. So it's, it's an amazing thing that most Americans don't even realize where our energy comes from and how much technology and infrastructure is already devoted to our current system. You're, you're absolutely right. You know, I look at it as they are uh, the workers who provide the energy for our country and for the world, to be honest, are so good at their job that so many people have the luxury of taking it for granted. And when they would actually look at the number of products that use petroleum-based fuels or fossil fuels, it is, it is absolutely stunning. And that's why when we see you know uh, environmental groups trying to stop that production, trying to stop pipelines. The first, you know, indicator of that as we see is at the pump, right? And and a lot of Americans can get that look from when they fill up and see that it's costing them a lot more for the same amount of gasoline. But the other places where they can see it is we're feeling it right now in inflation and in and, and all the products that we buy and all the things that we use. And you know, it is something that we point out a lot at Power of the Future because we see the people that are saying, you know, keep it in the ground, don't do any production, let's shut down our pipelines, and it puts good Americans out of work. But secondly, it is absolutely hypocritical because they all drive their cars to the protest, they all use their iPhones during the protest, and they're all, you know, using electricity that is probably based off of coal or oil or natural gas. And so they, you know, swear that they hate these products, but lo and behold, they are more than happy to use them. And it's kind of like, it's not kind of like, it's exactly like 
Joe Biden when he says that he wants to transition away from fossil fuels. But then when the price of gas gets to the point where he thinks it hurts him politically, well, lo and behold, he'll go beg foreign countries to drill for more oil. And so then you have to ask the question, is it really about the environment or is it about these groups and their eco-allies in Washington, D.C., trying to have more power over our lives? Yeah, it has to be about power because it's the one that they demonize the most. They love to demonize oil producers in America. So they like to demonize oil. It's their favorite boogeyman. But the fact is, I know that Joe Biden does not live without insecticides, ink, uh, floor wax, pens, upholstery, clothing, boats, sports car bodies, nail polish. Well, he might live without nail polish, but his wife doesn't. And so we're talking about huge impacts. 40% of oil goes into making gasoline. Um, and the other 54% goes into making medicine, cosmetics, plastics, synthetic rubbers, cleaning products, and asphalt. And the list goes on and on and on. Um, I could read all the way through it, but I think the point that I'm trying to make that we're making together here is that you cannot live without oil, not the life we live now. And if we want to go back to caves and huts and things like that, um, sure, but not the modern life. You cannot live modern life without oil consumption. You're, you're absolutely right. And first of all, and kudos to you because, you know, I do a lot of these interviews and very, very few folks, in fact, you're the only one who has gone through uh, just a, a, a good list to say this, these are the products that we are utilizing and where they come from. But you're right. They, it seems like they, they want us all to go back to, you know, Stone Age or, you know, just wood windmills and, and biomass. And, and at every turn, it is contradictory, not just about our way of life. I'll give you a good example. Part of Joe Biden's infrastructure package is that he wants to have everyone driving around electric vehicles. Well, those electric vehicles, if you are on a fully battery-powered vehicle, that takes 163 pounds of copper. Well, how do you get that copper? You have to dig it out of the earth. You have to refine it, and you have to make it malleable so that it works in that electric vehicle. And he is shutting down copper mines in the United States, in Alaska in particular. So here you have him saying, we want these electric vehicles, but the number one product metal that goes into it, he shuts down the development of that product. So what does that mean? Well, just like he has to beg OPEC for more oil, that means he's going to have to go to China to beg for more copper. And in every turn, it seems like he is taking uh, independence of not just our energy, but in many of the products we have, and feeding it to a foreign country that very rarely has our best interests in mind. And so when you look at why someone would do that, you have to ask, you know, every American with an objective point of view would ask, why? Why is that? And the point is, it is because he is beholden to a group of eco-special interests that are going to say, this is good as long as we get more power, as long as we enrich ourselves, and it doesn't matter what it does to working families across the country, because it is hurting them the most right now. It does. It absolutely does. Then you say, we believe America is blessed with abundant and reliable energy sources that have been the lifeblood of our national advancement and prosperity. Man, that's so true. Like we do have um, an amazing industry. Our oil and, and natural gas industries are cutting edge. They're technologically advanced. They're staffed by professionals. Most people just think of some person who maybe, you know, drives a pickup truck and, you know, is from the South and, you know, pumps oil out of the ground and he's covered in oil all the time. Like and his car is covered in oil. Even Joe Biden thinks that. But the fact is oil refineries 
are not like you see on the Dukes of Hazard or some you know old 60s or 70s TV show. They're technologically advanced sites where you need badges to get inside. And the rooms are not just clean, they're super clean because they're processing and they're using technology all in cohort. And these are places where Americans, you have to be able to rely on it. So the systems are extra cared for because any outage at all means Americans can't pump gas or they can't, you know, flip a switch. And it, the, our our industries, our energy industry, it's nothing like a, the nasty, dirty, inefficient, uh, kind of, you know, haphazardly thrown together depictions that are often what Hollywood tries to, to put on us. You're, you're absolutely right. And, and I like to tell folks because I, you know, I did not get into this being in the energy industry. I wish I could say, oh, yes, I worked X amount of years in the field. And no, I, I can't. I've worked in political communications. And the first, you know, time this kind of popped up, I worked in New Mexico for the former governor, Susana Martinez, in her education department. And we were looking at graduation rates. And I noticed this school down in the oil patch of New Mexico and the graduation rate seemed kind of low. And I called up the superintendent and I said, what, you know, what's going on? And he says, the oil patch, these kids, my smartest kids leave school early, they get their GED. And next thing you know, they're making $80,000 a year at 17 years old, working out in the oil patch. You know, and if you were 17 and a smart kid, what would you do? And, and so they are good paying jobs that keep families home where they want to be in rural parts of the country. But to your point of of saying, you know, they like this caricature of it, that it is just a dirty, polluting industry. The people who work in this industry live where the industry is. They drink the water where the industry is. They breathe the air where the industry is, and so do their children. So to say they don't care about the water that they drink or the air that they breathe is the biggest lie that's told by the radical environmental movement. They live in the area where they are producing and extracting these resources. They absolutely care about the water. They fish. They hunt, and they are part of the land that they are working, and it is an absolute, I'll say it again, it is an absolute lie that they don't care about the land that they are working on and developing. And make no mistake about it, if you live in New York or San Francisco, you have what I call the luxury of detachment. You have probably mm-hmm. always thrown <laughs> on a light switch for your entire life, and the light has come on. They do their job so well that you are able to say, boy, I really wish it was a windmill instead of this other thing. And you know what? When you put it on something, your electricity on something that is so finicky as the weather, that light switch isn't going to come on anymore. And you know what? I think we're looking at Europe right now that is saying, hey, these green initiatives that they told us would be good, that they told us would be reliable, that they told us would be affordable, is absolutely not true. And they're looking at a cold winter in Europe right now because they've abandoned reliable energy. And it's going to be tough for them to correct it before it gets cold. And America needs to be looking in that direction and saying, we do not want to go down the same road. Yeah. And it really, it's it's a matter of paying attention to um, where you, so where you live, the municipality that you live in, paying attention to the people who are in charge of that, paying attention to the people who are down in your legislature, your state legislature, because oftentimes the environmental lobbyists, they bully the legislatures into adding these bills in, you know, adjusting bills. And what they do is they phase out things that work like, you know, natural gas drilling. They'll phase out uh, what what they're doing in California right now is they're phasing out the the new builds of gas stations. They say they don't want to build any more gas stations because if the more gas stations you build, the more 
fuel, you know, fossil fuel powered cars people will buy. If you build instead charging stations and people will realize, well, I can't get gas, so I better buy an electric, you know, car. The only problem is the electric car, that means you're constantly replacing those batteries. And the other thing is you're supporting child slavery in the Congo, where the kids have to dig these rare earth metals out of the ground with their bare hands at the age of six. They're starving and they're mining minerals so that people here can drive electric cars as their second vehicle, not their primary vehicle. Because most people I know who have the electric car, it's their fun car. When they go to work, they're driving, you know, the longer hauls, the distances that they need to go on a trip, they're driving their fossil powered car because that's the only thing that, that works. That's the only thing that has infrastructure everywhere you go. You're absolutely right. And, and that's the perfect analogy for the whole situation, is it not? When I want to be showy, when I want to virtue signal, when I want to pretend to the world that I'm the most conscious person ever, I'm going to drive this car because that's what signals that. But when I really need something done, when I need to absolutely get where I want to go or when I need to haul something, oh, yeah, I'm going to use what's reliable. It's the same thing throughout the whole green movement. If you want to you know, look at windmills and think that it's better than what you have now, then great. It's good feelings. But you know what? When the wind stops blowing, as they're running in Europe, the power is not there. So you're taking something that is a novelty, like wind and solar, and you're saying, we're going to make this the basis of our energy diet, and it's just not going to work. And your point about the slave labor in the Congo is absolutely right. I, you know, Anyone who's listening to us, what I would do is I would have them, next time they're around solar panels and they can get close enough to look, Look at where they're made. Well over 90% of the world's solar panels are coming from one country. They're coming from slave labor in China. And when you are saying, you're absolutely right, your local city councilor, your local mayor, they're saying, we're going to do this, and they hold a ribbon cutting there, and they've used tax dollars to pay that. What are those tax dollars really paid for when they have bought those solar panels from a country that uses slave labor? It really says that they are perpetuating that problem. And, you know, every pol- not every politician, most politicians like sitting there and cutting the ribbon on their new solar farm, again, the virtue signaling. But I would challenge them to say, okay, how about we'll have this and this alone power your house? And they would all laugh at you. Yeah. Everyone who wants this, who supports this, you'd be the first ones to plug in every bit of your infrastructure at your house to this windmill. You go ahead and do it. <laughs> plug into it. And they never will. And they no. never will. I, you know, Joe Biden will hop in Marine One. Is that the solar-powered or the wind-powered Marine One? When he gets on Air Force One, is that the solar-powered Air Force One? No, they don't exist. Because for our way of life, they don't work. And the eco-left will say it is, you know, the cost is worth it. No matter what happens, it is worth it to save the planet. But when they don't raise a finger to OPEC pumping more oil, to China digging deeper into the earth, and to slave labor, you have to wonder how much they really care about the environment and the human way of life. It's actually just for cocktail parties, isn't it? Like you and I are sitting here talking about this. If, and if we really, really like unpack it, it works great at the cocktail parties. But when they need to go to the big environmentalist meeting that is held overseas every year, they get on their private planes and they fly. And private planes don't go as far as like 747 jumbo jets or even DC-10s. So they end up having to stop multiple times on the way and refuel. So every time they land and take off, they're burning extra fuel that wouldn't be burned if they took a commercial flight because it would just be one up, you know, direct flight or maybe a Absolutely connector. But right. it's still the, the cost is spread over all of the people who are on the plane, you know, so 120 people or 80 people or what have you. Especially if you're going overseas, you're usually taking a jumbo jet. If they all took jumbo jets 
and they all flew commercial, they'd save a lot more fossil fuels if they really cared about that. But instead, they take private, they have to fly and and you know have these these little stopovers to refuel while they're refueling they take the car that is loaned to them if you own a private plane anytime you land at an airport that services that type of plane they have a courtesy vehicle there for you fossil fuel powered you can mm-hmm. take that courtesy vehicle anywhere in the metro area that the the plane is in and stay gone with it. You can check into a hotel and spend the night, come back the next day. Your your plane is refueled. You give them the car back, pay for the gas you used, jump in your private plane and fly to your next hop. You might be able to fly three or five hours on your plane, depending on the age and size of it. But the fact is, you know, the more you learn about the private plane world and how people live in it, it's great. It's the ultimate. And, you know, I want to get in my car and drive to the store. I know it's seven minutes from here. I'm there. It's the same thing, only you're flying. You know exactly when you're going to arrive. But the issue is that, because I don't mind people flying in private planes. I think you should do whatever your budget and your desire permits for you. As long as you're not asking me to pay for it for you, I don't care. But I do care when people who take the luxury of a private plane and then they say to all the rest of us, we have to drive cars that literally don't serve our needs. Electric vehicles do not serve our needs when, like my husband and I, we like driving on some of our vacations. We can't take an electric vehicle and do that. We just can't. Not only can we not take it, we have a family of five. If everybody's going, the electric vehicle also will not work because it's either people or luggage at that point because you have five people. So I, the hypocrisy stinks to me. And I'm sick of it. And that is why your organization is so important. So, so important to have what you're doing out there. Well, well, thank you so much for that. And you're, you're absolutely right. And it gets down to, because your, your point of the private planes is exactly it. And we've pointed out quite often, John Kerry, right? The president's own climate czar has to use a private plane to be able to go to Europe and tell people about the climate and to lecture everyone on the climate. And when you have the audacity to point out the fact that that is burning more fossil fuel than the average American, you would think that because they care about the environment, environment groups would get worked up about it. But no, they don't. They essentially say, well, he's that important, and the message is that important, so he has to. Well, that is not about with the environment, right? It is about, really, it seems for them, creating two classes of people. There are those who are going to have the private planes and be allowed to, you know, forego what the environmental groups say is important. And then there's going to be the rest of us, right, who I have kiddos, too. I have five kiddos. And we do. We drive to a lot of vacations, including the Galveston, which we love, by the way. And we drive to those vacations because that, that is how we, we get to where we're going. And to say to families and to say to the working class, you have to live by these rules, but I don't. It is, you know, creating two different classes of people, which is not what our country is about. But that is what we see happening. You know, there were 11,000 Keystone Pipeline workers who instantly lost their job when Joe Biden canceled that pipeline. And now we're all looking at more expensive gasoline. They're looking at shortages of critical fuels in lots of part of the world where I think they would be really happy to have a pipeline right now. But because it was not on the list of okay things for, you know, Joe Biden's special interest groups, then it can't happen. Now, keep in mind that that pipeline is located in the Ukraine. Well, it gets signed off by the Biden administration, but not in the United States. And the hypocrisy of it is absolutely present everywhere we go. You know, I mentioned we looked at John Kerry's uh, private jet use. We looked at my home state, our governor, who wants every car in the next two years to get 52 miles to the gallon. Guess how much per gallon her car gets? Less than 13 miles per gallon. 
And so whenever you hear these eco-politicians trying to tell you how to live your life, see if they are living by the same standards they expect the rest of us. I love it. I, I like to to keep it simple with people that I bump into who oh I just I'm I have to be an environmentalist because I care so much about the earth and I I just ask them well if it's a woman so are you willing to give up makeup shampoo perfumes because those are all produced with the help of petrochemicals and they look you know petrochemicals I'm like yeah that it's it's a part of the process so it doesn't mean. We can't make them. It just means cur- the current stuff. You're giving up the current stuff because if you want to give up oil, that's you got to start with something close to you. Your plastics, your synthetic rubber, driving on asphalt. You were ready to give up driving on asphalt? Um, you know, the, the bottles that your pills come in when you get a prescription, you're ready to get those in. Not a plastic baggie, but a paper sack, just a paper sack full of pills. Um, you know, tell me how you're going to get that done. And also, the paper sack is made in a factory that uses factory parts that are made with oil. So you can't even get the paper sack. You have to go there and get it with your hand. You have to ride a bike, only the bike needs to have wooden wheels because you can't have a bike with, you know, regular bike wheels because those are oil-based too. How are you getting there? Like, (laughs) you can't, we cannot do this thing without oil. So, and, and you're exactly right. And, and, you know, and we talk about those things and, and I, yeah, cause I talk about the same things and the, the perfume and the makeup and then, you know, I've heard environmentalists tell me, oh, well, those aren't essential things and I don't use those. Okay. Well, have you ever gone to the doctor? Have you ever had an IV run? Have you ever, you know, needed to call 911? Have you ever used a cell phone? And those are mm-hmm. all things that would be absolutely impossible without fossil fuels and our way of life. And for some reason, we, are, we, we want to capitalize on feelings and of the moment as instead of taking a rational look at the very real consequences of going down these roads. And I'll do them one better. Your solar panels and your windmills are not environmentally sound. They call them renewables, but that's a misnomer. Is the air and the sun renewable? Absolutely. But the devices we use to capture them are not. Not only are they less reliable, they break down faster than your coal-fired plant, your natural gas-fired plant, and they produce a massive amount of waste that we have no idea what to do with as of yet because we haven't gone through the life cycle of a lot of these windmills. And so, you know, I, I call it because in California has taught us this, that when you rely on this type of power, you have to do one of three things. One is your bill's going to go up because the electricity is more expensive to build it. You're going to have to deal with blackouts because the fact of the matter is the sun doesn't shine all the time and the wind doesn't blow all the time. And number three, you're going to have to import your energy. California is the number one importing state of electricity in the country. They import 25% of their electricity. Meanwhile, Gavin Newsom's going to go to the world and say, oh, oh, we're doing a great job eliminating and getting closer to zero neutral in California. No, you're not. You're buying your power from other states. You're buying it from Nevada, from Arizona, from my home state of New Mexico. And your customers are paying a premium for it just to keep the lights on. It doesn't make any rational sense. And the fact of the matter is more states are going down the California model. So, they, you know, not every state can be a beggar like California. Once these states start running these energy deficits, you're going to see more blackouts. And again, look no further than what's happening in Europe right now to see what happens when a large group, a large landmass in many countries decide to go down this road and they start looking to their neighbors for help and the neighbors can't help, your neighbors to neighbors can't help, and all of a sudden it's a crisis. Well, I'll tell you what, we have a huge fight ahead of us to tell people the truth, but one thing that really 
to me, it makes all the difference in the world is for every of those eco terror groups, which is what I call them because they mm-hmm. actually do. Um, they harm loggers. They harm people who are working in these industries. Um, for every one of those groups, we have a corresponding group that is just doing the most. And, and that's saying something because it is hard to fight those groups. They're well-funded. Um, I want to point out one more thing as we're closing out. And it's been such a pleasure to chat with you. I have um, on your website under the blog tab, you have mm-hmm. a lot of blog posts that are wonderful. I'm going to put a few in the show notes to give the listeners a, a chance to kind of tuck into some of your content. You have green energy could lead to China dominance, oil and gas yep. prices skyrocket, but Alaska projects shuttered under Biden. So these are the kind of things that Americans aren't going to see on CBS or MSNBC, but it is our duty to read a blog post, maybe print it out, put it on the kitchen table for the kids to read after school. Um, Share it in a link with your husband in your text thread or, you know, or your wife, send it to a, a relative who has, you know, maybe a penchant for talking about green energy, share some of what's going on. You may not change their mind, but it's the key is spreading the information. So I'm really excited that you have all of this here for us to access. And I'm so glad you could join us today uh, on the podcast. Stacy on the right. Well, Stacy, thank you so much. And it has been a pleasure talking with you and, and you're absolutely right. The best way, um, folks can, you know, help with this cause and, and explain it is sharing that information, sharing the content. And I'd be glad to hear back from them as well. They can contact us through the website. And it's always great uh, to talk with people who are, you know, uh, spreading the good word like you are. Thank you so much. Okay. Well, Larry Behrens, Communications Director for Power the Future. Uh, great website. I love it. So clean and neat and, and easy to navigate. And I'm so glad you had time for us today on the podcast. Have a great day, sir. You too, Stacey. All right. So I want to tell you one more quick thing, and that is about our advertiser, the Alliance for Shared Health. So you know what? If you are accessing your critical care provider or you're looking for a way to have your prescriptions filled and met, you can do all of that through health sharing. The Alliance for Shared Health is over 40,000 households who share health expenses so that they don't have to contribute to things that maybe you don't really agree with, like abortion, uh, those things are covered under your traditional health insurance plans. You also have the ability to choose the coverage level that you would like and customize it to your budget needs. So it's the best thing going right now because open enrollment is all the time. You don't have to wait until November or if you make the decision in January or February, there's, there's no issue. You can sign up at any point. And you can also join in with um, the work that is being done in the villages over on the continent of Africa. There's a donation partnership there where um, those children are helped out of starvation through a small, tiny donation that comes from the Alliance for Shared Health um, because the money goes so much further over there, the East Villages in Africa. So uh, in any case, you can find out more about the Alliance for Shared Health at StacyOnTheRight.com and FamilyVisionMedia.org where um, you can... Click through and check it out and have all your questions answered. The Alliance for Shared Health, changing healthcare and changing lives. And that's another podcast. I love it. I love our guests. I just love it so much. Okay. Um, have a wonderful evening, afternoon, morning, and I'll be back with you soon. God bless.